I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Zach Roten. <laughs> we love to watch. <laughs> we love to watch when the world stops being polite and starts getting real. Got that, Zach. Hey Here's what's really weird. You know how some people have like a, a little bit of a like a radio voice where they get all revved up because they're talking into a microphone for something that's getting recorded. <laughs> Zach has the opposite of that. We were just talking <laughs> for 20 minutes about Full House and Fuller House, and he was, you know energetic and then uh Zach, I don't know if this is some sort of uh affectation you're doing all of a sudden, but it's uh you sound also very depressed to be recording and on mic. I, I I don't know. I don't know how to do like staged stuff. Well, it's not staged. You're just a human well, being yeah. talking to us. <laughs> like when it comes to the like the the obligatory, and I'm Zach. Gro- I I can't. I my brain freezes up. <laughs> is it one of those things where like uh like skits where it's like how do you how do you uh, look relaxed in every face you yeah. make where do you put your arms so you're like all right i have to sound yeah. like myself i have to sound normal what do so i do with like, my hands yeah basically i'm zach grote like that was natural that was a good take <laughs> all right but hey welcome back zach it's been a while our first yeah. guest on the show i believe this is your sixth or seventh appearance uh you racked a lot up guess. early you're the first guest Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound possible. And if we all die tonight, you'll be our last guest. Yeah, but we're here. We're kicking off a new month. Zach jumped at the chance. He'll introduce himself here in a second. But if you've never heard us before, where we love to watch, uh, we're a movie podcast that picks a theme and does movies uh, over the course of a month around that theme. And this month, we're kicking off a new one called What is Even Real, Man? And it is about... Uh, Movies where uh, there's a little something going on with reality. And we're kicking off with uh, what inspired this month uh, many years ago when Peter was really pushing for this, which uh, at first was not what is reality man month. It was Matrix ripoffs. But then we realized (laughs) that Matrix ripoffs set us up to do equilibrium, which none of us wanted to do. And so we changed it to this so we could do uh, the Matrix, which we're kicking off with uh, the 13th floor. Which, while not a ripoff, came out a month after The Matrix and uh, suffered uh, from a theatrical box office perspective. Uh, Existence, which also came out the same year as uh, The Matrix. And then uh, Tron and Tron Legacy. So, a lot of really fun movies. um, Some stuff that I'm going back to for the first time in a long time. Uh, But we're really excited. And I prepared for this episode. uh, Matrix. uh, Saw it again. I'd seen it, obviously, so many times. But I I prepped for it. I I really got the message of the movie, which is strength. Physical strength triumphs over all. Uh, And so, this is the first episode I've ever recorded on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I have steroids coursing through my veins right now. Now, the doctors gave it to me because uh, I have some, uh, some... tendon swelling in my body but uh so i haven't had super strength yet uh just sweats and higher blood pressure but uh i think it's you know 
Did my yeah. tendon know it was the 20th anniversary of the Matrix and swell up so I get steroids? It's, it's like, really impossible yeah. to say. I, I hope mean, so. Unless you're a doctor or have basic reasoning skill. Before I get going, Zach, uh, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself to our audience that may uh, may have been a new listener in the last year and a half since you've appeared uh, and, and uh, didn't go backwards. I'm Zach Groton. Um, I've been on the show. I've designed the logo. If you guys are still using that logo. Sure are. Um, we asked for a new one. You haven't got back to us in a while. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I will get one done yeah. eventually. The, the key to getting that new logo is just to keep asking me. Every day, I'm gonna set. I'm gonna yeah. set like a campaign, like for some email marketing, where you just get an email every day. This is kind of my principle with freelance work: is that if you're if people can't pay me money, they have to pay me an intense amount of emotional labor. <laughs> can we just pay? Can we just pay you? We'll do that too. We've that really been waiting for a while. <laughs> but no, um, right now I'm actually doing a freelance video work. It started as editing, and then no one needed an editor, <laughs> so it became camera work, which ended up being more fun, so that's what I'm mostly doing now. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I just shot, uh, did, I was DP for my roommate's thesis film. I don't know the name of it, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, as far as I know, not anywhere near completed yet, so that's kind of what I'm up to nowadays. Well, so a lot this of is, stuff, yeah, a lot of stuff that hasn't happened, but you're thinking about it, and yeah, uh, a lot of yeah, a lot of very tentative coals in the fire. Um, so I thought before we get into the Matrix, Proper. I don't have the holes for it, Aaron. I can't oh, get into the Matrix. We're gonna make the holes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I think I might log off now. <laughs> I, think, I think we've uh, uh, look. It's our hundred and fifty first episode. I think we crossed a new barrier for grossest thing anyone said uh, <laughs> on the podcast. But we're in, we're in a new territory. Uh, but anyways, before we get into the Matrix, because I feel like we could, you know, the Matrix was. It came out when I was fifteen. I know it's a very important movie to if we don't get this out of the way about kind of our history with the Matrix and a little bit of the series. We don't want to go too deep into the actual movies because I think it'd be worth uh, going back and covering the other sequels at some point. But just kind of, you know, the Matrix was uh, and I know this is an overused phrase, but from a cultural perspective, when it came out, it was like a Star Wars. It was the biggest thing in the world waiting for those sequels was the biggest thing. Everyone liked it. So I feel like let's get that out of the way. And then after the music, uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about the movie proper. Does that sound like a good way to kick this off? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Peter, as the person who was very, very into doing this month, your idea years ago, uh, I vetoed you until you finally were like, I don't think we have any sort of veto policy in our rules. And I was like, you got me. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about uh, your history with... The Matrix. So the, I, uh, when The Matrix came out, I was like eight years old and I saw it on uh, home DVD. And it was one of those things that like when I first saw it, I was just enamored with the, the sci-fi like gunfights. And then everything else was just kind of like cool imagery. And then it wasn't until like three, four years later that I finally could like, it, you know, get into it as a, a sci-fi movie and sort of start to grasp the concepts. Um, and at that point, you know, I'd watched Blade Runner and yada yada. It made a little more sense. But at first it was just this this thing that I had never seen before. 
there was nothing there's nothing like it really like i i know that it has a, a cyberpunk history it has a there's a there's a dystopia history there's a, a ai robots taking over history behind it but for me it was just like it was mostly my introduction to a lot of these concepts um and so like and since you know when dvds first came out they were kind of expensive we would rewatch the lobby scene like over and over and over again like we watched it like five ten times in a row um and then like a week or two later we do the same thing just because you were like how the fuck did they do this and then it became an epicenter for me getting into cyberpunk and getting into uh john woo movies which got me into hong kong action movies which like it be it was like this epicenter movie for me and an entire generation of sci-fi nerds and i feel like that the effects of it are similar to Alien, which we did last month. The effects of it, um, there's the obvious ones, the dumbass fucking parodies. Uh, <laughs> most of them pretty bad, but I feel like there was a funny one and maybe like one of the scary movies, like somebody dodges mm. a knife or something. I don't know. There I feel like that is that ones. is like the thing I think of when I think of the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're all terrible, but the, there's there's just been so many bad. I would parodies. be surprised if there is a, a a movie the Friedberg and Seltzer guy worked on that doesn't have a Matrix parody. Oh yeah, because those dudes dragged references for like 15 I, I, years. I would bet money that every single movie they've been involved in in some way involves a Matrix parody. <laughs> well, unfortunately, no one's going to watch them all to yeah, prove yeah, you yeah, wrong I, or right. So it's the, the no safest one. bet you've ever made. <laughs> People will pay no, you not to watch this movie. No one's going to do like the fucking Roger Ebert shot by shot where he pauses after each scene <laughs> to discuss all of those fucking movies Date to movie. see if there's a Matrix gag. I, I feel like people think of when they think of the Matrix, they think of the bad parodies and they think of the obvious stuff like bullet time getting into video games and um, getting to see the bullets sort of travel in air pads through the air and that stuff. Some of it great, like Max Payne, but most of it very bad. Um, but like, yeah, that's the, actually what I think of as like the positive, like Max Payne did it. And I was like, this game's my favorite game of all time. This is amazing. And there were so many games that did a really great take on bullet time and i feel like it's almost like coming there's, back now they're still doing it in games yeah i mean max Payne 2 max yeah. Payne 3 uh, and i remember the I mean, fear games the newest spider-man really game has some kind of bullet timey thing going on oh yeah it does at the time we were all just like i want to move in slow motion i want to move faster than people super hot was a recent game that that basically made that into its entire thesis that when you yeah you're moving in slow motion but and the enemies are moving in slow motion but when you move fast they move fast like it's a whole yeah it's like it's, you it's versus a, agents yes it's uh the influence has been felt everywhere and i feel like video games like it was where the bullet time mostly made sense because for years we would watch movies and watch people do stuff in slow-mo and we'd be like you didn't quite nail it you didn't quite do it as well as them yeah. Similar with Alien, you know, people would rip off Alien and the monster wouldn't look scary or they fucked up things hiding in the shadows. But it's so like for years I kept returning to this movie and then I saw it was like a thing that my dad and I bonded over because he's also a sci-fi dork. And then I saw two and three in theaters with him and I remember being blown away. And it wasn't until years later I, I realized that people didn't like the sequels. Yeah. So I, I this came out of soft, when I was a sophomore in high school and i still remember this kid in my video production class i was taking who had seen it opening weekend and was there monday like 
literally like a 15 year old I, well, I think it was a year older than me that's not important but uh he was like literally like and then it was like wah like acting out parts of the movie because he was so uh so excited by it and uh it was rated r i definitely saw in theaters i forget what what weird subterfuge i did to get there without my parents throwing a stink about it or something like that um but yeah i was just completely blown away by the special effects and like peter you know at the time and even somewhat to this day like I know about the influences that the Wachowski sisters had on this movie from like later on reading about like how much their influence on martial art movies and especially like anime and ghost in the shell type stuff was an influence and stuff like that. But like none of that, I didn't know any of that stuff at the time. I wasn't, I've talked many times in the show about not being a big action guy in general, just kind of finding the this many like hand like fight scenes and and shooting scenes kind of boring. I was much more interested in like the I want the the sci-fi concept that they just keep going over. So stop with the punching. But this was a movie that like for the most part, even the stuff that I found boring at that age in a lot of other movies was so appealing to me because of how well-directed and choreographed everything was to make it interesting. So, um, I really liked it. I definitely, uh, again, as a dumb high schooler and early college kid, went through like stages of loving it and being evangelical about it to... Uh, being annoyed at how omnipresent it was and like disliking it for like short periods of time or maybe not disliking it, but like going like, "Ah, that's yeah, three and a half, four stars. It's overhyped. But then I, you know, I was as hyped as anyone else when the sequels came out four years later, I watched everything on the Animatrix. I saw Matrix Reloaded opening weekend, loved that movie. Uh, really liked, um, well, again, not to go too deep into it, but one of my favorite ideas in fiction, especially science fiction, is like eternal recurrence or the idea that the person that you think is like a hero uh, is not. Like he's just part of this program and he's actually not special. And I love that subversion of the hero trope that they do in in occasional occasional things. That's why I, I actually really like the ending of the Mass Effect series because, uh, yeah, nothing really mattered. It was all just part of a loop that occurs and i i like that i like pulling the rug out of these expectations that you're this one-of-a-kind hero and i really felt that's what the matrix reloaded did and then and then because that was like the part i took away from matrix reloaded i was one of the people that was like very disappointed by matrix revolutions i was convinced that the ending of matrix reloaded where he stops the squid thing with his hand was like Oh, he's still in the Matrix. Like that the the machines were so smart that they made like this program where people think they get out and everything that we saw in the first movie was actually still we're still in the simulation and then when that didn't be the case that didn't end up being the case and I feel like they didn't do much to continue this idea that Neo actually wasn't special but instead made him special again. I was just kind of disappointed by it. But again, some of that is just my expectations. Um, I haven't revisited Revolution since then. I have watched um, The Matrix and Matrix Reloaded since uh, and and like them. And and again, now, it's watching The Matrix this time, I think I had it in Letterboxd's four stars. Um, like, rewatching it this time removed, having, having not watched it in five years and having been removed from kind of the, the cultural conversation of extreme hype Followed by, you know, the the backlash and the parodies and everything else to the, the sequels having a, 
you know, different cultural cachet than the first ones and stuff like that. Like watching it now, it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is a five star movie. This movie is amazing. I definitely bounced around and feeling that way and having it removed from its time really just shows how genius it is, how much it holds up and really all the parodies like slip away and you're still just left with this kind of uh, unique and amazing uh, vision. Can I can I jump in here real quick? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just young enough when this movie came out and its sequels that this and it was so influential to me and in the culture and, and such that the thought of giving it a rating at the time, especially would have been absurd to me. I'd be like, that'd be like rating a mountain. Like, <laughs> like you know, like I, it's a it's a mountain. You don't you don't rate the mountain. It's it's a uh, huge and you just accept it for what it is. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't think I didn't have Letterbox at the time. I just, I, th- I think just my, mentally, like it's this one is sorted in this category, which is you know movies that are okay. This one is sorted in this category, which is movies that are good. And this, yeah. Well, I think it's actually because, um, actually, no, I did because I. I'm sorry, I was like an early adopter of Netflix. Uh, and actually, when I update all my let uh, Letterbox stars, they came for me like obsessively going from my Netflix rankings to Letterbox. And so uh, they allowed you to rate movies very early in Netflix's thing. And I, I think I did rate it like four stars in like 2001, 2002. So I guess that's not as uh, metaphorical as I thought as I gave it any amount of thought. <laughs> so, Zach, what's your history with this movie? Um, I I would have been – so it came out in 98, right? 99. 99. Uh, so I would have been 10. Um, I would. I didn't see it in theaters. I at that point, my mom still didn't like let me see pretty much anything. Yeah. Um. But my dad would. He was relaxed, but he wasn't like you know. He didn't give me free reign. He kind of you know pre-screened stuff. Not pre-screened, but kept his eye open for stuff that just wasn't appropriate for that age. I think I saw it probably a year later on DVD. Um. Uh, actually, I started to watch it, and this is still like movies were still like. It was a big deal when they came on television. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like the Friday Night Movie. Like, that was a way yeah, to get like, ratings. Yeah. Like, whenever like a, a recent movie, a, a station got it, they would advertise it for, like, weeks. And I, so I don't remember what station it would have been on. Probably AMC or one of those that had it and were playing it. And so I told my grandfather I wanted to watch it. And he pretty much whatever. We didn't finish it because... It, it there was some reason he said we had to turn it off. He was very strange. He he was an incredibly conservative fundamentalist who also like watched Seinfeld every day. So like <laughs> he didn't have any rhyme or so reason. Like, to so watch. like uh so like some sort of Christian hypocrite. That sounds weird. Yeah, he didn't have any rhyme or reason to what was appropriate or what wasn't. But he decided at some point during the movie, no, we're turning this off. And then I got my dad to rent it. And so I finished and I watched the whole thing. It had like, it was one of those things. This doesn't really happen anymore. In that era, you could be aware of the existence of something that was for all intents and purposes readily available for like a year or more and not be able to get it. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I, I would be, I would, there would be the games that I had spent two years just fantasizing about playing and then finally we got to rent it or i bought it and then i could play it same with movies i i had probably given as much thought to the matrix before as i did in the year after i saw it like just because it was 
everywhere. It had permeated everything. I had seen the soundtrack at the store and I listened to it. So like I was very familiar with a lot of the iconography and like it's just cultural influence before I even got to it. I had probably seen parodies before I got to it. And that's I mean, actually that's how- not that's actually like super that's a super great point to make and it's not talked enough about is is <clears throat> the anticipation that you have about a movie from the trailer and how you create your own movie in your head. Oh yeah. And then when you see the movie, it's like it better be a fucking great movie in order <laughs> to not disappoint this perfect vision that exists right. in your head, right? Yeah, and so like I had all these friends talking about it, describing all the scenes. So when I finally saw it, it, it totally lived up, and it, it just blew me away, like how everything fit together and just how it realized this amazing world. I, I, I mean, I, it definitely wasn't the first thing I was obsessed with. It was probably the first like big movie that I was like, the, the first like adult movie, and that's probably like a dumb way to. No, I think that I think that makes sense. Like, like it was the first like grown up movie that I was like, what? Like before that, I watched Indiana Jones and Star Wars obsessively. But like those are still like PG. Those are still basically kids movies that everyone can enjoy. Like and that's what they are. It's like that's not a criticism. I like them for that. But this was like a heady, like a trip of a movie where you're like. Even when you are too young and immature to go through and think about all the things it raises, you know there's something there and you and it gives you that feeling of like I've just experienced something that expanded everything I knew thought I knew and it was one of those moments. It it, it was it was a watershed film for me and like it uh, so many movies I discovered because of it. For years after that, you'd you'd go to the blockbuster and you'd see a DVD that said from the from the fight choreographer of the matrix and it was like iron monkey or it was uh fist of legend or it was you know like all the people who kind of were involved in it that had come from the hong kong scene it was a big boost to their profile here so you started seeing more of their films being uh you know promoted that way um, yeah, and it really changed action movies to be more like kung fu type based. Yeah, I, I, I still remember um, when Terminator Three came out in two thousand three, a movie I was super hyped for. Yeah, um, that now is getting written out of the canon. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's better but, than any of the movies that have been made since. It's, yeah, it's I I it wasn't Terminator two or one, no. but I remember Who really liking it. Thought that a perfectly over the plate Terminator movie that everyone was like, yeah, it's fine. It was going to be like this movie that we had to hold up in some regard, like because it wasn't awful, because it wasn't a crime against cinema. <laughs> yeah, um, at this point, like. More people have played John Connor than any other movie character, including Shakespeare. <laughs> like, it really makes Andy Warhol's uh, statement true that, like, in everyone. the future, everyone will be John Connor for 15 minutes. Um, but I remember when uh, Terminator 3 came out, uh, there was, like, this big thing of Arnold doing this press tour about, like, we're bringing action. That's not even close to Arnold. I don't know. You got to practice before you just go into that. But, like, we're bringing action back to, like, tough rum and tumble big guys not this like kung fu skinny like he he really was playing up and the one like a big marketing hook of terminator 3 was it's big dudes punching shit again as opposed to this like kung fu choreographed like dance fight that Mm -hmm. that we've been seeing because it really did change the action movie i don't think we you know peter you mentioned alien like 
it's it is amazing like there's so many um scenes in this movie <laughs> that are like cultural touchstones like if i say there is no spoon if i say the red pill which we can talk about how that's been horribly misappropriated as well if, <laughs> if you talk about like the deja vu idea of like a glitch in the matrix if you talk about like all these there is like almost every moment of this movie is like contains some sort of icon iconic like line or idea or moment that is like burned in the public consciousness uh, well beyond like people that have seen this movie like the the concept of a red pill or glitch in the matrix or there is no spoon is like there's definitely kids running around saying that shit that have no idea it's from a movie it's just part of the cultural lexicon at this point and like and like you realize that even though the Matrix parodies and the amount of stuff that like it made its way into was just like almost overwhelming, it is because like this movie is just perfect. Every every moment contains something that's worth um, that's worth becoming a parody moment or becoming some part of the lexicon because uh, every almost every scene is truly iconic. Yeah, and, and similar to Alien, it does have that sort of uh, easing you into it quality, yeah. where it it doesn't start that weird. It starts, it starts as like a cool neo noir thing, and then it and then like every eight minutes, it's like, all right, here's something really weird. All right, and here's something yeah. really weird. And then halfway yeah. through the movie, they're like, hey, here are your books, here are your pens, welcome to orientation. And then <laughs> and then they do the info dump stuff on you. But it's yeah. Morgan, it's it's a Lawrence Fishburne giving you the info dump, so you're like, what now, Morpheus? Yeah, the info dump is actually, I want to talk about that because the info dump is actually really good in this movie. But yeah. you're, you're right, it, the way it kind of throws out these, like, the way it- Chunks it, of it, revelation. Chunks of revelation and makes it super weird in a short amount because they don't have that much time to spend with it, right? Like, I, I did think about, and this this can be the last thing I say before we kind of go into the movie proper. Um, I did think about, like, the J.J. Abrams version of this movie, which is, it's the end of the movie, him finding out that he's in the Matrix, right? Like, that's the reveal. Yeah. That's like, that is like the mystery box and kind of where a lot of these filmmakers are. No one would waste a whole movie about when you could fill it with all this weird stuff. You'd either be right into it because they wanted to show off all the special effects, or I feel like this would be the reveal. And then if it did well enough, the sequel would be him in the Matrix or something like that. (laughs) Or, yeah, Neo gets to see a scene or he gets to see Trinity perform an insane feat. And he gets to be the one saying, that's impossible. Uh, It would be Neo witnessing that. And then, yeah, next movie he gets to do be a superhero. Yeah, the ending of the movie is like him getting woken up, taking the pill, and he awakens in this weird future and they get him on the ship and he's like, where am I? And then he throws up and then it's cut to credits and you're like, holy shit, a new franchise is born. Like that's – that's what the the 2019 version of this feels like, <laughs> and I and I just couldn't help but be impressed looking back and saying they got all that shit done within the first 45 minutes, well stylistically, made it weird, made, gave you in a short amount of time like enough to keep going, huh? Now that's interesting, like you know, to really keep you. Uh, to really keep you just on the edge of what's thinking that anything could come next, but then still giving you an hour and, you know, a half in the world that is like that they wanted to show off and, and tell a story. And so, yeah, it really just I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. 
Uh, and if I could say one thing real quick about the sequels and my yeah. relationship there. So I had by the time Reloaded was announced, I had already gotten into it. I was it had it had consumed my life. So like I was right there in the demo of this is the the, the thing, right? So I was I was stoked for it. I didn't see Reloaded in theaters because <laughs> my mom was like still cracking down on that and my dad hadn't yet like the didn't have the confidence yet to take me even when we, I was with him. I, it wasn't even a full year between the two sequels, I don't think. No, it was uh, July and December. Yeah, and so... I think they when, did the Lord of the Rings thing where they shot the sequels back to back. Yeah, they, they did, they very but it was like six together. months. Yeah. And yeah. so when Revolutions came out, I talked. I told my dad, I'm like, look, well, we gotta see this in theaters. So we rented Reloaded, watched it, blew my mind. And then we saw Revolutions like the next night. So I got to see them like kind of back to back, which I think is ideal. Um, yeah, yeah. As many have said, they're kind of like reloaded as Act One and Two, and Revolutions as Act Three. Yeah, and so I, I, I always like I loved them. I watched them back to back, and I loved them. I, ha- I didn't have any issues. And it was like years down the line, I just it kind of seeped into the general discourse that the matrix is great reloaded and revolutions are huge disappointments and i kind of bought into that i'm like yeah I don't know. and then like a few years later i'm like i don't rewatch the matrix movies like i i got the box set cheap when i worked at fye and i watched and i'm like no i love all three of these movies like it was it was that wasn't actually an important moment for me as to learn that like i don't have to dislike something that is widely disliked like yeah there's it, no cost to yeah, there's no, no cost yeah. to it i'm like I, I i love this i had the time of my life rewatching them i felt like i understood it more and we'll probably get into this a lot of people accuse the the series of just kind of being a bunch of gobbledygook philosophy thrown together i truly don't believe that at all i think it's very consistent and actually has a pretty uh well ordered if esoteric uh kind of viewpoint but I I still think sequels hold up, and we'll probably get into those. But yeah, so I'm a huge fan. If that's not clear, <laughs> yeah. And I I guess my problem was um is that like I was so excited by Reloaded. I loved the concept it was getting into, or I thought it was getting into. And I had six months to really stew on that. And yeah. when and I agree with you. I don't think it's gobbledygook. I think the the movies all have a lot of very interesting things to say. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that, but. I just was really like, this is what it's about. I can't wait because I can't believe that a movie this big is like doing my favorite thing that a movie could do. Uh, and then it didn't do that. And instead, you're right. It was like just a climactic battle and ending as opposed to pursuing the threads I thought it was going to pursue, which isn't the movie's fault. It yeah. is just why I was kind of like, oh, this wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. But – but that's why, I mean, again, as dumb as it is, when I've gone back, I, do, I should watch Revolutions again. But I kind of just think, like, in my headcanon that Reloaded's the end. <laughs> you know? Like, that's great. Yep. Turtle <laughs> Recurrence. I think people just think that I, – I think people just feel blue-balled by the fact that, like, Neo has to basically be put aside for large swaths of the sequels. Like, yeah. he gets he gets awesome fights, don't get me wrong, but there's, like, there there's large swaths where he just has to talk to, not the director, what's the guy's name? The train conductor? 
the the the, the guy in the TV room. Oh, the no, architect. that's isn't that in Reloaded? I thought I thought Revolut. I like the the architect. I really like the architect stuff. And people people really complain about the fact that Neo has to sit in a room and have a conversation with him when he when he could be off, you know, punching or you know oh. saving the characters. When I'm oh. like, and I'm like, hey. The only reason that that awesome highway chase scene exists is because Neo cannot exist in that that moment, right? Like, he, yeah. he has to be somewhere else doing something else because otherwise he would just deus ex machina at the moment as he does at the very end of it. Like, yeah, p- people don't realize that, like, what they were given by having Neo kind of be put to the sidelines was, like, more of that awesome action shit that they actually wanted yeah because they did run into that problem of okay we made him an invincible god now what like how do yeah. we show him just be but how do the how are the stakes there but i love that architect scene because that's the part where it's like one of my favorite parts of the whole series because he's like oh, yeah. yeah you are part of our pro- plan like you are part of our program there's been like 20 of you like yeah, we just keep doing this thing where like some of you guys leave and then you guys form the civilization and we go oh no gotta stop the one and then yeah you're just gonna absorb you back into the program kill everyone and it'll start back over like it's all part of this it's it's fine you guys are literally doing nothing and I'm like I'm like fucking yes I love this <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that 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 whole sequence when I was a kid was unintelligible like. I just knew that some creepy, some creepy white old dude was saying a lot of shit to Neo that he didn't seem to like. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I, I couldn't. I can't pretend like I understood a half of even a, a, not even half, like three quarters of what was happening when I first saw these movies. It, it was like the action scenes were the glue that held yeah. everything together, and everything else was like, "Well, that means something." Like it's kind of <laughs> like a lot of people feel watching a David Lynch movie now. It's like. I know something is go- like, and I love David Lynch, but like, there's always that feeling like you don't quite know what's going on, but you know it's important. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's how I felt as a kid watching this. Yeah, that's, that's interesting true. because like I was so seeped in science fiction and specifically like what they were talking about in this movie, yeah. like as a theme or an idea that like just for me. It, it, like, activated something that I was weirdly intimately familiar with or, sure, like, what yeah. they were trying to explain. So, it was like, oh, my God. Are you serious? Like, my little pet story convention is yeah. in the Matrix sequel? Like, like it was like a kid on Christmas morning for me. And so, you can understand, I think, probably why when it wasn't that. And it seemed like it was going to be that. But, it, like, it kind of was that. It just that it wasn't going to cycle around again. Like, yeah. Neo was still going to be the one. I was like, oh, well, then what's the difference? <laughs> but yeah in retrospect i do look back and also realize hey you know that super weird heady science fiction concept that i loved from all these weird novels i checked out at the library when i was 14 and 15 and like attached myself to uh it still was in the matrix sequel and it just shows like how much of this like weird at the time not necessarily mainstream concepts and ideas or stuff that that the Wachowskis were pulling from to put into this series and how much they had thought about like all these different things that they were kind of like combining into this perfect, this kind of perfect series of all these um, ideas that they were like perfecting and honing and focusing on certain things. And that, that part, I didn't really 
like didn't really hit me. It was just like I didn't like that they didn't go the exact way I wanted. But still, in retrospect, in the same way that they were bringing like these anime concepts and kung fu stuff and like this kind of like black leather type uh, dominatrix thing and um, you know and a lot of other stuff like they were bringing these kind of complex science fiction uh, ideas that or philosophy ideas and like putting them in this movie and treating its audience like adults who could like yeah this is going to be a little complex we have a lot of ideas besides punching and kicking we trust you guys with it and in retrospect, I guess they should not have. But uh. <laughs> and that is, and that I think is the greatest strength of the movie, and maybe why it was such a, an enormous hit is that even people that didn't understand the philosophical concepts, yeah, uh, could be patient enough to wait for the incredible, like groundbreaking action sequences. Yeah, uh, yeah. The amount of people in my high school that did like English papers about like how. Oh, oh, this was a deeply Christian movie representing uh, Neil as <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, like, we're legion. There, but there, that, that was this, you know, this movie just, you know, takes so much of these different components and puts it into this perfect package that it really is something where people took different themes out of it. But you can always go back and get uh, a deeper look at it. So one thing that I was kind of blown away by um, was – this article by Marcy Cook in the Mary Sue a couple years back where she uh, kind of like watched it and we'll link to it in the show notes and was like, oh, this is like a trans coming out story. And I had read that article and I was like, oh, my God, yeah, there is a lot here. And uh, and rewatching it this time, it was like, holy like, yeah, when you when you read that article and like watch the movie again, it is just like, oh, my God, if this was like uh, from a thematic standpoint or one of the themes here, like a trans coming out story for like Lana and Lily, it was, yeah, it is, it is really well done from that perspective as well. Well, at the, at the time, this is probably worth mentioning. The Wachowskis were like a total mystery. Yeah. No one knew what they looked like. <laughs> they never <laughs> spoke. They didn't they, they, they like publicly. hated doing interviews. They would they, make that a contingent part of yeah. their contracts. Be like, I will. We will work ourselves to the bone for you. We'll yeah. do whatever whatever it takes to get this vision on the screen. We will not fucking do interviews. I remember scouring the internet for just pictures of them and finding like two. It was like Thomas Pynchon. No joke. Like y- you really didn't have any idea who they were. Yeah, but around the time of Reloaded. The rumors started to spread, and this is just like this, this is like the internet is still like a fraction of what it is now. It wasn't like we had Facebook. The rumors started to spread that um, Lily, no Lana, who came out first, Lily. I thought it was Lana, but we can, we can get this right. Whoever, whoever transitioned first, I think I think you're right. It is Lana. I think um, was Lana was transitioning. Of course, that was not the language that high schoolers used but yeah it was lana yeah yeah so and i remember hearing that of course i i didn't have any concept of what that meant or (laughs) any of that but like i i I don't like what all i'm all i bring that up to say is it's not like that was like something that like they didn't realize about themselves until much later in life i think I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm obviously no expert in this, but I don't think you just a 
all of a sudden at the age of in your mid 30s, like, oh, I think I might be trans. It's something you deal with for years in some form or another. And so, like, when I, I've read the same article you're talking about as well as just listen to a lot of uh, trans friends talk about it, the movie is steeped in just imagery and themes and things related to your body not being what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and the uh, original idea for Switch, too, was that uh, it would be um, when when she was in... That she would be like a uh, female presenting in the um, in the Matrix in the real world, but then oh. when they're in the Matrix, she'd be played by a different actor who would be yeah. who would be uh, you know male gendered. Even 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 as they did it in the final film, I do remember as a kid just because of uh, I don't know the actress's name, but just because of her androgynous look, I do remember thinking I don't know if that's a man or a woman, and that's something that wouldn't have even considered like. I didn't even think about it as having any significance as a kid, but there is still some of that. Like there's an androgyny to a lot of the looks yeah. and styles that I think speaks to a kind of erasure, erasure of the gender binary. Yeah. Um, everyone that comes out of those tubes looks exactly the same. They're, they're bald, they're hairless, they're pale they're And it's this. And, and so like, I mean, that's the biggest, I think, theme of the whole series is the rejection of binaries. Um, they keep bringing, they keep putting you at a, characters at crossroads where there are binary choices and them having to deal with those. But the more the series goes on, they have to reject those as even being a, a choice. And I think that's with that culminating in that scene with the architect where he, he gives Neo a choice you either do this or you do that. And we think, well, what's he going to do? But it turns out, and of course, as the Oracle says in Revolution, you can't like understand, you can't make a choice that you don't understand. And you can't see past a choice that you don't like fundamentally get. I think that's kind of seeped into, that's, that's the whole bedrock of this thing is that, you know, the, the machines operate in binaries, ones and zeros. And of course, building up from that, Whereas what makes us human and what separates us and makes us distinct from the machines is that it's not always that simple. Sometimes there are binary choices. Sometimes there are a huge spectrum of things. Noel Murray, for who used to write for The Dissolve and wrote for the AV, or writes for the AV Club, he did a, whole, a great article, which I think you should link to, in defense of the sequels. And he says the one of the best scenes in the whole series is is when they when they win the war at the end of Revolutions and the fighters in Zion are just standing there as the machines just leave. They just stop fighting and leave. And all those people are just standing around like, what happened? Did we win? <laughs> Did we lose? Like, there's no on-off switch to say... Yep, you won. Good job. Everything's they they have to stand there bewildered, not having a clue, not being able to celebrate because there's no there's no in indicator light and it's the most human moment of the series because it's it's the moment where they have to just look and observe and and to say what do my subjective reality tell me is going on right now? What do my senses say? And it's 
the the culmination of this whole series of taking binaries and tearing them down. It's it's a it's 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 what I love about the series is that I I I spend I mean I probably I pr- I probably bring it up at least once a week of just this kind of distaste I have for uh, binarism. And it's why I think this series has stuck with me for so many years, and especially the first one, because it it does it in really simple terms. You know, it it, it keeps setting up binaries that it tears down, and and that and that that gender binary is of course a big one. It's the one we all deal with every day, um, in some way or another, and it 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 restricts us. There's there's the scene. Um, and I'll stop talking here for in a second. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> There's the scene when Neo, when Morpheus meet, first meets Neo, and he gives this spiel. And I remember this line. This line stuck out to me when I first saw it. Is he says, describing the Matrix, he says, "It's there when you go to work. It's there when you go to church. It's there when you pay your taxes." Those are the three. He, he uses those three things, and I remember thinking. That's a really weird thing to hear an R-rated movie even mention church <laughs> as a child. Like, because to me, that, that that those two things didn't belong in the same discussion. But also because, like, nothing up to that point in the movie suggested that any of these characters ever went to church. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm like, what is that? Why did you mention that? But those are three very constricting, rigid systems. Work, church, and taxes that keep people in binaries you you have a job or you don't you your church of course is you know you're going to heaven or you're going to hell you're damned or you're saved and of course taxes i mean you're you either are in the clear or you owe i think that scene that that line is a really kind of a skeleton key to a lot of what's going on it's about the the ways the ways that these oppressive systems keep us under wraps and they do it through simple binaries yeah no that's that's a great reading yeah, that's a wonderful reading, and and I do love how this movie is essentially a conglomeration of like a million elements, right? If you took a bunch of tags on what what this movie was, it's a cyberpunk dystopia story, it's yeah. a simulated reality story, like a mind bender. It's a John Woo style, you know. Uh, gun ballet movie it's a kung fu movie it's a hero's fable about a boy becoming a prophet you know a prophetic figure uh you know all this stuff and you're like what what the fuck what the fuck is this how does this fit into a movie like maybe two of them could fit into a pretty good movie maybe maybe even three and you're like you're looking at it all the elements and it's but somehow some way the whole thing just fits together into this like synergy this magic and the fact that it is so far reaching and yet and so ambitious and yet so elegant leaves yeah. it open for a lot of people to see themselves in it like and that's that's I mean it has a dark side too with like yeah. the MRA movement and the red pill thing and 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 uh, alt right people in the red pill thing like the assholes I, also can co opt it that's that's the dark side of making a movie that's so wonderful and accessible is that people miss the point entirely. Uh, I um, really so before you go on I really tried to find there's one of my favorite tweets of all time but uh, when you search for anything that includes red pill in Twitter good luck finding the tweet you're thinking about uh, <laughs> but. Uh, but uh, someone posted a while ago um, something like 
Let's not pretend for one fucking second that any of these MRA assholes would have taken the red pill if they're, it was told that their uh, reality that they, they believed in was a lot – if a, if a black guy and a woman told them that uh, the reality they were living were, was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Because like it's-, it's perfect. It's like, yeah, that's what uh, people of color and women and trans people and gay people are telling – you know, straight white cis MRA, like your your reality is based on a lie. Like they tell it to us every day. Like your place of privilege is based on um, you know, a- appropriation and putting other people down and uh privilege and stuff like that. And all these MRA guys are like, not only do they not listen, they use the metaphor of that um to to be that the the opposite of that is the true red pilling. Yeah, it's it's uh and I, it's just the cost of making an amazing movie, man. Like uh, at some point, assholes are gonna see themselves in it, right? It's the same same thing happened to lot, lots of just in 1999, <laughs> Fight Club, Fight Club as well, <laughs> which a bunch of assholes like apparently stopped watching the movie an hour in and were like, we should go to a Fight Club and like missed the whole point of the movie. Um, but anyways, I, I'm not drinking Zach. coffee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a body that looks just like Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, apparently, I was I was in an interview with Rob McElhenney who was saying that every he, he went to a trainer for It's Always Sunny to get in an incredible shape. And he said uh, every <laughs> trainer that he's talked to requests the Brad Pitt in Flight Club body. Like every man in the world wants to look like Brad Pitt in Flight Club. Brad Pitt and Fight Club was so it's that hot. it's that it's that V like it's that upshot when he stands up after the fight. Yeah, um, he's got what do you call gutters. that? Yeah, the cum gutters. Yeah, <laughs> it's disgusting. That's I'm the so moment. Sorry. And I'll tell you what, Rob, Rob in that season where he gets all ripped for it's always sunny. He's got good cum gutters. He's got great cum gutters, uh, yeah. cummy gutties, <laughs> and he and like uh, Brad Pitt was so hot that like he melted the minds of dumb bros and like the wachowskis were so smart about deploying these cyberpunk ideas to a mass audience that like they they couldn't even process the rest of the fact like the fact that the cast the cast is very diverse yeah there's yeah there's uh there's there's a tommy chong's son plays tank I did and, not know that. <laughs> yeah, he was dropped for the next movie, and he's of he's of uh, well, he his, I think Hispanic and Was black or uh, no, he Hispanic didn't die. American. He was the one that decided he wanted oh. like five million dollars, and they're like, yeah. oh, 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 never mind. I got I get Tank and Dozer constantly confused. I mean, because they're basically the same word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're they're both of them are from. Both of them are from Hispanic and black backgrounds. Uh, Apoc is, I believe, he's Austra- He's an Australian actor. He's of a he's of a diverse background as well. Like there's um, Switch, who's from a ghost background. Um, like there's just like people from all over. Obviously, Morpheus is like the cultural leader. The fact that the Oracle is a like wise older black woman but they don't go the fucking uh the shack route where it's this condescending magical in quotes magical negro thing um like the movie is incredibly diverse and then all these dumbasses were just like skipped over that part that like all the enlightenment comes from from women and figures of color to just try and bend 
culture to fit their needs because yeah. Yeah. there's like no uh, good conservative uh, there's very there's very little good conservative culture since <laughs> sam peckinpah right and all of the people trying to keep the status quo the way it is and not let people like explore their rights and everything to be like to pursue their own identities and you know personhood are all uh, uh white bland guys yeah um wow feels like just like there's a pretty obvious metaphor for that I myself also missed um, when I was 15. But yeah, it's it is crazy how like looking at it and going, huh, this is the movie that MRAs are like, this is about me. I'm Neo. And yeah. People, and the lie is that uh, women should also have rights. <laughs> like clear I, as day I would get boondock saints right like i would get that because it is like a specifically regressive work right yeah. like i don't know that this? anyone is misreading boondock saints <laughs> no everyone agrees on what it is everyone like, agrees like, there was a firefight people know yeah. <laughs> there was a firefight they agree there was a firefight no one doubts it <laughs> and, and there was a firefight it says everything yeah. you need to know um i don't but know what back a firefight is i'm gonna be honest <laughs> It's a fight with fire. With I've fire. never seen Boondock Saints. Oh my gosh, you owe it to yourself to hurt yourself one day. No, you should I, definitely I, I, you should you should definitely watch it and then watch just overnight. so you can you can be mad about something for an hour and a half. I no, I, know, sh- I I I've seen scenes from it. Have you I, seen Overnight, the documentary about that movie? No. Oh. It is worth it is 100% worth it. I think when uh, Scott Tobias for the AV Club did it for New Cult Canon, he paired it with Overnight. Uh. Uh, and it is worth it to get even more cultural like understanding of what the movie is when you see Overnight, which is the like implosion of the guy who made it in real yeah. time. I have it's an so idea good. of – like I know a lot about it. I just – I've seen enough of it to know like this will bore me. <laughs> So, so jumping back to it. So, Zach, I, I, this is this is like this is this is really delayed. But Zach, the fact that you're seeing this like thing about di- uh, you know uh, dualities and didactism and like uh, the fact that like this these binary choices are in the movie, and I'm like, yeah, I do see that now, but I've never seen that before. It shows you how yeah elegant a lot of their metaphors were. The fact that they did work through fucking fourteen drafts on this movie to get it yeah. done. The fact that like I saw it as about a you know the human body as like a prison or cage and that is like a very flexible metaphor for literally anybody that breathes like everybody at some point in their life feels somewhat there's they feel like their 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 intellect or their soul or whatever is is being um is being uh limited by their physical form right even if you love your body um and that's that's uh obviously a very potent thing to think about for two trans women like yeah uh and uh, they they were trying to play with that with the switch thing and then it got shut down by producers but the the metaphor still is there and it still works and there's the the whole the, there's a great line in the movie where um neo says why do my eyes hurt this is right after he's essentially born yeah um and uh morphe says you never use them which is such a beautiful sentiment. Like, yeah, yeah, that one like, really hit me this time. Like, it was like, oh, I get it in a way that I hadn't before. It's a literal statement, yes, yeah. but it's also a figurative statement. And like the fact that 
it just makes me hate fucking alt-right Nazis even more. Because, <laughs> like, that's such a beautiful moment. But, this like, you a... could totally imagine that being an alt-right meme. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting, though, that you, like, you the, the, the idea of a body being the prison was, like, the thing that you gravitate towards because i i gravitate towards the first time i watched it is like the the theme which is there as well of um like reality being a prison like this idea of where i would look at you know i was going to school and this came out you know as you're in high school and they're talking about your future and you're looking at like all your options in life and you're just worried that you're going to end up you know like neo when he's working at the office like Mm -hmm. uh, this the the amount of like (laughs) anti-office propaganda which is good like working <laughs> in an office is bad but like in 1999 like you know so i'm i'm you know almost i'm like turning 16 my first year of high school is almost done you're starting to really like gotta do acts gotta plan for stuff and in that year like office space this movie and american beauty come out and <laughs> all of those are just very much about how if you even have a desk with a computer sitting on it <laughs> you're gonna be fucking miserable and it was like what else do you do with your like i i don't even understand what like i'm not gonna be a lawyer or a doctor or an airplane but like other <laughs> things that i got and i'm like oh i want to be an artist but is that sustainable and it just felt like felt like how that this idea that all these people were going to jobs that to punch buttons on their computer that i didn't quite understand what they were doing all day i assumed i don't know accounting or some math shit i hated and it really felt <laughs> like there has to be you know, and I was kind of losing my religion as well. So that idea of like, this is all some crazy test so that you get into like your peer, your the other cool world later on. I wasn't really believing that either. So like I was at that point where it was like I wasn't having like a dep- existential crisis, but I was like, is this really it? Like there's got to be something cooler out there. So, of, of course, like that idea of like the Matrix or again, why I liked the 13th floor, because it was more about just that the world is different uh, or existence. Like these movies real, really appealed to me as not so much that um, like obviously in this one, the, the, the real world is not is a dystopia. Like it is not about like you found the good place. You found the fun part. Like, no, you found actually a kind of a hellscape, but at least you get to be who you are as a person and not be controlled by other people that don't have your best interests or don't know who you are as a person at at heart and stuff like that. But just that concept of like that I could go into the real world and it would be like, oh, that makes sense. Like that was what was appealing to me as like a 15, 16 year old. For sure. Uh, I think, I mean, it's a layered movie. It's got so many different levels it's working on. It's just a flexible concept. Like yeah. it's it's uh I it, the fact that all three of us kind of took a separate path on it, but all three of them kind of um, interlace with one another, and specific lines can fit at different nexus points between those those readings is like really wonderful, and it shows you how the Wachowskis like. I mean, it's basically the only way it sounds like this movie was producer meddled was. Um, they wanted a bit more exposition in parts and the fact that they were able to make this movie still be cool after (laughs) adding like more exposition is like really impressive because like the exposition points are where all of our theories start to like really blossom. Right. Well, there's even, there's even a scene that I took note on and I think it even ties into both of the ones you guys have talked. Well, at least the one Aaron is talking about was whenever he's late to, He's late to work 
It's the, it's the it's the day it's the scene where he then of course gets the phone call from Morpheus. Um, he met Trinity the night before, in the club. He's late to work, and his boss has him in his office. Or first off, his boss is very clearly a, a guy cast because he kind of looks like Hugo Weaving. Yeah, and he's given the exact same hairstyle and cut and part and everything. His boss says. Of course, he gives him a choice. Be on time or you're out of a job. Which is, again, another binary. As if those are, as if that's the be-all end-all. <laughs> you either are here on time or you have no job. And it's just another way where he's where that, that system, everything is like converging to keep him from, from realizing anything bigger than what's right in front of him. And or what's been defined for him. Yeah, exactly. To keep him from moving outside of the out, out of the lines and from outside of the two, the very simple two two choice system, he's been you know he's been created to uh, fulfill so that he can be a human battery. Yeah, no, yeah, that's he's, uh, yeah. He, he's a he's a unit of resource to be used up, and if he can't be useful. As a resource, he's going to be dumped and liquefied and turned into human uh, human food for other things like yeah. the, for the, the babies. The, the Got to make the babies grow. Yeah, this the system. Uh, the machine system is uh, pretty easy to track on top of like a traditional yeah. corporate corporate <laughs> capitalism, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, so I think like obviously this intro ends up getting into a lot of the, the theming as well. Yeah. Let's talk totally about the fine. movie itself, Let's talk about right? Let's talk about the plot and some other moments um, that we didn't get to. This will probably be one of our longer pre-music and one of our shorter on the other side of the music. But again, so much to talk about. And there just is so many themes and things that you can get from this movie that, like, I'm glad we spent a lot of time up front talking about it. Because, you know, it's so important with the way that this movie, like, has attached itself to the culture. So, anyways... Let's let's go back to the movie, or let's go forward to the movie. Let's take the red pill. Fuck, I can't even say it in the right context anymore. Take it back. Let's let's culturally take it back. I'm let's get red pilled. <laughs> let's take the red pill, which is talk about an important landmark in cinema directed by two trans women. That's what taking the red pill means <laughs> on the other side of this music break. And thank God I'm editing so it will not be Dracula. Do you guys want to talk more about The Matrix? Yeah. Yeah. This is the part where you put in Dracula. Nope. <laughs> Plot. If you don't know the Matrix plot, 
skip the tagline. Let's get into scenes. And this is going to be a pretty long version of our typical scenes thing because we're going to go through a lot of scenes. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, let's, where, do we, uh, let's, where do we start? Can we talk about – can we start talking about Keanu? Let's let's man. talk about – yeah, we need to talk about Keanu. And I, I want to give him lots – I want to give him lots of time because I feel like he gets short shrift. And then every few years, everyone's like – people will be like, I love Keanu. And then like – Three months later, they'll be like, Keanu kind of sucks. <laughs> so here's here's my – I've said this before on the show. I want to get my Keanu theory out of the way and then you guys can talk about it, which is the Keanu is an amazing actor who is so good. But his line delivery is so specific that it's very easy for things taken out of context to seem like they don't rule and are stupid when in fact – they fucking rule and are awesome. Yeah, uh, it's easy for a trailer cutter to make them sound dumb, or or you know in like a little scene. So so and I and my example of this is always like I remember seeing the John Wick trailer. Yeah, and there's that part where he's like, people keep saying I'm back. I'm thinking I could be back, and I was like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Like this movie's terrible. It's just called John Wick, and then of course you see it, and that part of the movie is like the Chills throw your fist body. in the air, like yeah, he's back. John Wick's back. Like and and watching this movie again, all those things like the whoa and I know kung fu and there is no spoon in the movie, removed from the context of those being memes and jokes and yeah. repeated by all your asshole friends that moved on to Borat a, f- Borat a few years later. All those parts in the movie are fucking awesome. Yeah. But again, you isolate just someone going, whoa, or I know Kung Fu, out of everything that you're in the middle with. And it's it's very easy for those that line delivery, because it's so flat but intense, to be seen as bad acting. Yeah. That's my Keanu theory. It's like he just he he out of context he he uh he sounds stupid. I think I think the same thing like happens to Arnold Schwarzenegger to an extent. I don't think he's yeah. as, I don't think he's as good of an actor as Keanu, but I think he's a much better actor than anyone ever talks about. And like when you yell when you hear people yell, Good to the Joppa like <laughs> it's like that's that's horrible. And then you watch the movie and you're like, "Holy shit, get to the chopper!" Yeah, holy shit, she should like, probably get, get to the chopper, chopper now. <laughs> so like, uh, they do got to get out of here. Yeah, like they're gonna die. And Keanu's like that. So yeah, I, I agree with that. It's a good theory. I, I had never thought of it that way. But like, there's when you watch the movie, I, I think he's an actor with like not a huge range. Yeah. But I, I, I've never felt range as necessarily the the big, like, be-all, end-all of quality um, as an actor. Yeah, I mean, if all you need to watch is Much Ado About Nothing or uh, or Bram Stoker's Dracula to realize, like, he, he should not be in the past. He's fine in the future. He's fine in the present. But, like, I, what's, what's, I think, why I think this is such a touchstone role is because it really, like, uses a lot of his best qualities and his limitations, like what could be his bad qualities as a, as an asset. Like, yeah, he has a tendency. If I think like one thing you could say about him, like if I, if I had to say anything negative about Keanu Reeves as an actor, and he's one of my favorites, uh, it, it it's not like even a horrible thing, but like, let me clutch my pearls. It's that he, he can have a, like a, like a, he doesn't necessarily bring 
a lot to the page. And, and I don't even know if that's the way to put it, but like meaning I think I think his best roles kind of there's an an almost emptiness. I don't want to say like there's something I don't know. Have you seen The River's Edge? Uh no. I've always heard it's great. I need to see it. I think that's really one that un- unlocks a lot of like, oh, he has a lot more range than I think. Yeah. But- well, I mean, that's true. Like, I mean, like, some I read an article recently about Point Break and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And, like, they couldn't be more different. Like, and they came out within a week of each other. He's great in both. The Matrix, like, really uses him in this very unique way, which now, like, they, they kind of... John Wick movies do it really well, too, where it doesn't really let you inside of what is going on in his head a lot of times. It allows you to kind of put yourself over it. Not like a cipher necessarily, but I guess somewhat like that. Yeah, he seems a little blank, but he is putting a lot there. Yeah. I think the... the, uh, So tell me if you agree agree with this, Zach. The way that I, I just wrote down when I was watching the movie was he operates at an emotional distance... Sort yeah. of sort of an awkwardness, an emotional distance. But he seems to be like earnestly reaching across that emotional distance oh, to yeah. various uh, success, to varied yeah. success. So like that's the way I think about it. I don't know if you guys agree with that. Like, Well, here's one thing I noticed. I do agree with that. And I one thing I noticed this time is actually the amount of nuance that's in Keanu's performance and actually everyone else's performance. Yeah. It's like they're they when they're in the real world or at the beginning when Keanu thinks that the you know his office job and that is the real world, he emotes a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things this movie is trying to show, and it sometimes comes across as bland or trying to be cool or bad acting. Is once the Matrix is, like, known to these people as a simulation, they're existing in the simulation, what the fuck is the point of emoting? Like, it is, like, just brain power to be, like, smile now. Like, they're focused on the basics of communication and actions, and they stop, like, they stop doing the things, like, even putting much emphasis in their voice or, like, Morpheus does it when he needs to be motivating, but even he sounds different and more motivating when he's in the real world as opposed to in the Matrix. And you realize it's just a function of, like, it, you know, when you're playing a video game or something like that, your your objects are move the character, say the line, pick up yeah. the thing, shoot the gun, stuff like that. There's not a, like emote with your voice this well give a facial expression that'll be reassuring like but then when you get to the real world like carrie ann moss all of a sudden like has real concern on her face yeah neo seems like a little scared and nervous about what's going on but like even in those points in the matrix he doesn't act like that so i never picked up on that before yeah but i actually avatars Exactly. And like the avatars, there's some things that like they haven't either bothered to learn how to control or it would just be a waste of time. Yeah. And I and I think yeah, good, reaching outside your range, you know, even if even if he does have a wider range than people give him credit for, I think he does have a somewhat limited range. Having a limited range does not make you a bad actor. No. I, I mean, as crazy as it seems, I do think Nicolas Cage has a limited range. I feel like he can do a lot within a specific uh, set of bounds. He can do quiet and loud. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, At the same time. At the same time sometimes. <laughs> He's the only person that can whisper scream. 
Um, and he, there's, I don't think that makes you a bad actor. It's just that when you do, there's a, it's just a fucking part of being a working actor is that you reach outside that range and sometimes you flail and fall on your face a little bit. Like we did Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a great movie with a a horrible performances. Yeah. A horrible lead at its center. Um, and also a great movie can have terrible actors in the lead it doesn't matter but uh but he, he doesn't that i'm saying that doesn't make him up just because you saw an actor give a single bad performance or two or three bad performances does not make them a bad actor it just means that you saw you probably saw them reaching outside their comfort zone whether or not they if they don't have a like if they don't have a core competency like there's nothing that they have to offer the world like yeah they're a bad actor well, you know what? And also, not everyone is like Keanu Reeves when he gets hired for movies. It's probably like, oh, they probably want me to play Keanu, a Keanu Reeves type, because they hired. Not everyone's like fucking Jared Leto. Like, okay, you're gonna be Mark David Chapman. All right, what if I gain nine hundred pounds and then slap myself in the face every hour and talk uh, a little bit different than he did? And it's just like, sure, Jared. Like, this movie's gonna make no money. We should probably talk briefly about the big casting. Uh... The, the two big casting what ifs around this yeah. movie. I, I was watching it this time thinking about like, what if fucking Sean Connery was Morpheus? Yeah, say the minor, <laughs> the more minor of the two is Sean Connery is Morpheus, which this makes like one of two, two of two big roles that Sean Connery turned down because he didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah. The other being Gandalf. He would have been the richest actor on earth. <laughs> like, like still be the richest actor on earth if he had taken gandalf yeah they they were offering him something insane it for ridiculous. it like whatever x percent of gross yeah and so he would have basically made as much he would have made almost as much money as peter jackson did eventually <laughs> on the whole series or something but really he, crazy. he would have been a great gandalf he would have been uh like i was picturing him going like horrible. <laughs> it's, it's a simulation. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that, and the fact that Lawrence Fishburne does seem so like nerdily Perfect. game for this yeah. shit yeah. does make it better, right? Oh yeah, he's great. Like the fact that he's like, hey, hey, dude. All right, well, you're this is this kind of sucks, but y- you know, you're in a simulation, bro. Like yeah. he seems, he, he is seems so, like, he is so good at delivering the exposition as we talked about, and just kind of like really going, like playing up this character yeah. to entice people. He's so good in this movie. Yeah, but then of course the big what if regarding the casting was that this role, the role of Neo, was offered to Will Smith at arguably like one of the heights of his career. And talk about limited range. Like, we all love Will Smith within a certain capacity. Yeah. Like, everybody has, like, a Will Smith performance on TV or in movies that they love. Yeah. Um. But, oh, my God. Like, I, I couldn't see Will Smith at this point in his it career. It would have been such a different movie. It would have been amazing as the soundtrack would have changed quite a bit. And I think <laughs> we would have definitely had a song about like. <laughs> didn't, uh, he, didn't he do Wild Wild West instead of this? He did Wild Wild West instead. So, yeah, I like uh, I like living in the world where we have a lousy Wild Wild West movie with a really good Wild Wild West theme song. And really <laughs> it's a good song. Wild Wild West is a good song. <laughs> the Men in Black, uh, the Nod Your Head, Black Suit's Coming. Pretty good song, too. Yeah. I love Will Smith theme songs. Yeah. The fact that he is actually going to be rapping in Aladdin is now the only reason I'm seeing it. Like, oh, yeah. Opening weekend. Because <laughs> I can't not. 
But yeah, yeah like, I, I can't even imagine him in this role. It, it's like, this is what I tell people, and going back to just how perfect Keanu is for it, like, even if you did think he gave a bad performance, like, it's such a unique, it's, it's a pr- character we all instantly know. Like, yeah. it's an iconic performance, which I think kind of makes the quality of it irrelevant. It is the difference between, though, <laughs> like, it's the difference between, whoa, and whoa! Like, like yeah. those are the two scales. Yeah. Like, like it would have been, I just can't see him, like, bending to, like, the needs of the script, which means the script probably would have been bent to his needs, given that he was the bigger quantity at the time. Yeah, how do you get Will Smith post Men in Black, post Independence exactly. Day to, to do anything that he doesn't want to do? That's the thing. I don't think it's a, it's possible that the movie would have existed as it does with him in it because he's known for being demanding that the scripts and the movies he's in kind of tailor themselves to his stardom, which... That's yeah. why he got booted off Django fine. Unchained. Yeah, that's he, absolutely like, fine. Django's not the lead. Yeah, and but I I just I wouldn't like some that's fine for Men in Black because that's all Men in Black is it's a fun star vehicle, but I I can't even imagine how bad this would have been if it was that movie like we wouldn't have had the same movie, like that's and that's yeah. I think where the what if breaks down is like we would have to just reconceptualize everything from the ground up, and the Wachowskis as we know them might not even have the career they do, we might never have seen. Since eight, we might never have seen so many of these amazing things they went on to do because I the Matrix with Will Smith to me ends up. Being, I can see the I can see the Will Smith uh, Sean Connery version being like the movie that we remember as a terrible movie with some cool special effects. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> like a, a hit, League, League of Extraordinary been, Gentlemen kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. it would have been a hit. It would have probably done well, and it probably would have been forgotten the next year, and we we might have gotten one really terrible sequel, and then we forgot about it. And also, the, the, we need to talk about, while we're talking about all this, is that, like, fucking Keanu is a workhorse for special effect or for oh, yeah. uh physical he was he says he doesn't do stunt work. He does, he does physical acting, because he has a lot yeah. of respect for stunt guys. Yeah. Um, so he, he's, but he did, he, everybody in the film did months and months and months of both like intellectual prep and physical training to get ready for the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. I could see Will Smith being like, all right, I'll get in shape so I can take my shirt off, but I'm not learning these complicated fight moves. Like you're just going to have to cut around me. Because, like, that's not who Will Smith is. I mean, it's also telling that in the movie he turned this down to do. There's a scene where, like, where an Asian actor starts to do martial arts and then he just punches him in the face and, like, dismisses martial arts as being necessary or useful at all. Yeah. And also, Keanu was a big martial arts dork. Like, he probably probably loved working with uh, Wu Ping Ping Yoon. Oh, for sure. Like, and, and I mean... Also, keep in mind that Tiger Chen, he met doing this movie and then later directed a movie for him so that he could have a starring vehicle, Man of Tai Chi. So, like, so it's he's just so cool because he just like he like loves soaking in that world. Oh, and he, sure. He's such a respect for it. And, and he comes in as an out. He comes in as an outsider viewing himself as an outsider, which is so respectable in this yeah. in, in a day and age where. We're very, we're trying to be more conscious of overstepping cultural bounds and like co-opting shit. Mm-hmm. Like 
he's trying to be like, no, 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 no. I'm a powerful voice right now. I'm going to use that powerful voice to get this this movie off the ground. Yeah, everything I've I mean, obviously, there's in the anything could change at any moment. You don't want to put people too high up on pedestals that you can't uh, see them being needing to be removed from them. But uh, everything I've ever heard about Keanu Reeves is that he is just an amazing person who treats everyone around him with respect um, and really tries to, you know. Yeah, like make sure stunt people gets credit, bring people of other, uh, you know, cultures to give them their chance to shine and all that kind of stuff. And he's an amazingly precise physical performer in every every field that he touches. Like there's a there was a pretty famous video that went around Twitter of him doing prep for John Wick where he's doing the uh, essentially the SWAT training. Yeah, where he's like going between different guns and, like, shooting at targets, and, like, targets pop up, and he shoots them, and then he, like, switches between weapons, and it shows you, like, the level of prep that he went through so that they could do those crazy long takes. And apparently there's a scene in John Wick that's, like, a super technical driving stunt um, that, like, he needed to line up the car within, like, six inches or some shit of where it needed to be, and he just practiced until he fucking got it, and he practiced in his own time. Like, this wasn't take 9,000. Like, he practiced in his own time to get the fucking thing right, which, like, what a- every other actor in the world would be like, just send the stunt guy in, but instead he was like, he had such a respect for the stunt guy, he was like, let's figure this out together. Uh, yeah. While we're talking about the cast, I think it would be criminal if we didn't talk about how great the rest of the supporting cast is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. like, it's criminal. I mean, it's criminal that Carrie Ann Moss has, like, such her career just fizzled, which is. We, sure, we talked about that on our Red Planet episode. Like, not her fault. She's at all. so. No, and she's so good in Red Planet. Like, a she's movie so that is in, fucking in, terrible. And she's, she's so amazing. Good in in uh, Memento. Memento. As well. Yeah. Well, she's actually really of- good in the the. I'm not a huge fan of the Marvel TV shows, but she is super good in Jessica Jones. Like yeah. she's she's a she like makes you want to cry at certain points, but also it makes you hate her. Like she she does she she toes that line of humanity really well. Well, and she also someone that character like is kind of like a nothing. It was a really bland type in the, in the comic. It's a guy. Uh, they they gender bent it for the. For the oh, I didn't show. know that. Yeah. Uh, like, I think her name is Jerry, right? Was that to make up for Iron yeah, Fist being so. a white dude or whatever? <laughs> Iron Fist is always been a white dude. But now her name is like the character's name is Jerry something. And they just m- in- changed the spelling of Jerry and into like the more <laughs> feminine spelling and kept everything else about the character. <laughs> That's <the same>. funny. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. She, she's she, she, she was hired, hired mostly for like the look, right? She was like. I think she, I think that's how a lot of this cast was assembled. Yeah, and it worked really well. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I mean, because yeah, she has a very u- unique look, but also doing so much like subtle work. You really get a sense, I from each performer just about exactly how long they've been unplugged when they're yeah. when they're in the real world. Like there's a, there's a comfort and a and a kind of a just oh, the way they carry themselves and you can really tell the tears of this crew without it ever being said. And everyone is just doing that really subtle work. Um, also, you can tell by hair length. That too, yeah. I, I, I really like, uh, I mean, like Switch, APOC, um, and Mouse. Mouse, I guess, probably gets the most of those three. 
and they're not really <laughs> mouse is like kind of a little creep but yeah. it's a great it's a great performance because you're just like everyone else seems kind of grim and sad and mouse is like has like a, a teenage boy's excitement yeah. about all this shit i made a woman today <laughs> <laughs> but like uh you know like joe pantoliano yeah I, I mean, like one of the best like heels in in movies. <laughs> Joey Pants. I mean, Joey from Pants. Moment, from like, if if the movie has a flaw, it's that there, you don't for a moment believe that he is like a good guy. <laughs> because he's clearly... see, I actually, I actually think the the flaw is that he's very convincing into like. Yeah, Tuxie has to kill everyone, but it does kind of sound shitty. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> um, there's a moment in uh, there's U.S. in U.S. Marshals in in U.S. Marshals is like an okay movie, whatever. But there's is that a the moment when you find out fugitive. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's it's an okay movie, whatever. But there's a moment when you find out there's an inside man, and I bet you every audience member in America was like, "It's fucking Joey Pants! It's Joey Pants!" And then it turns out to be um, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> but Joey like, Pants was the decoy. They also yeah. the, going back to the MRA thing. His behavior leading up to his heel turn is like just like. It couldn't be more on the nose, incel, toxic masculinity, MRA, and and like toxic capitalism, yeah. which is most I capitalism, mean, like, where he's he like, just give me that red fucking steak and meat and make me rich, and I don't care about anyone else. Well, like, that's right? Like, also give me the, the money. Way he talks to and about the women on the oh yeah on the Nebuchadnezzar, definitely. Uh, it's just this, just dripping with this kind of creepy, like pervert, like. You 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 cringe when you hear it, and you can see Trinity. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss does some great, like subtle, like reactions to that, um, just to show her incredible discomfort with it. Um, she handles the she handles the 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 being the woman lead really really well because I think she avoids she toes that line where she's not doing that thing where she's like. It's like it, it's a thing in rom-coms that transitioned over into action movies that's so annoying where like the woman has to be like, I don't have any interest in him. I don't have any interest in him. I don't have any interest in him. And then at the last second, she turns and, and starts to like him. No, like before then, she's showing a lot of she's showing a lot of like professional warmth towards him. Like this is your this is your mission. This is your job. She's not being an asshole. She's being very direct, but she's keeping herself safe. Um, and like the, the, the subtleties of that performance and the fact that she's not overly emotional, but she's also not dead inside. Like the way she toes that line is really impressive. And the scenes with Joey Pants, you're right. Like she she handles that stuff really well because like yeah. she she reacts in a way that gives him nothing to be satisfied about. Like he yeah. doesn't get to be the, the guy who's like. She pretends like she hates me, but she'll like me later. Like she doesn't get, he, he doesn't even give her him that. Like, I, well, I liked it. I think that should be our new meme. Like these MRAs, these insults of people. Like you think you're a neo, but you're a cipher. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, and of course, Hugo Weaving. I'm gonna say it. Good. He's good. He's he, a good he, actor. I can just go and and say the name Mr. Anderson in a certain way. And people all around will know exactly what I'm talking about. Just that very generic name. He turned it into a calling card. Mr. Anderson. And he could have just been, he could have just played it as 
badass unkillable robot yeah but he takes that that man that men in black trope ironically men yeah. in black but he takes the men in black trope which is you know these g-men that started showing up after you know roswell and whatever yeah. this like conspiracy theory thing um you know the, these fbi guys just managed to show up at just the right time like that uh that that conspiracy theory thing he takes that and he perfectly modulates between the fact that he is a machine which any lazy actor, which, you know, the two actors yeah. to his sides kind of do. They're just like, we will talk like a machine, basically. Uh, and instead he has this, like, it's a machine that's sort of approximating human behavior because yeah. he knows yeah. he's interacting with humans. And he has this sort of unnatural staccato flow when he talks. And he's like, and we know that you have a sort of file in our records. Like, yeah. and it's... It, it's so good. I mean, he's like he's like he's like it's like they programmed him by watching like a bunch of Joe Friday and something like that. <laughs> he's trying and yeah. he's trying to approximate that. One thing I actually really like that I think the performance holds up a lot on rewatch, and this was definitely not intentional with Hugo Weaving's performance, but it probably more the Wachowski's building off his character into the other sequels. But you know, one thing that the sequels really do a good job of is like. There, you you start to realize that you're interacting with all these computer programs, even though they look like people, and yeah. obviously that's what like the agents are. That's, I think that's where I, I a lot of the nitpickers in the '90s and 2000s were like, well, if they're just if they're the Matrix, like if they're the AI, why do they always have trouble fighting them? And it's like, well, no, they're not the they're not the Matrix, yeah. like. They are programs within a computer system, like assigned to do certain tasks, and I like the idea that that Mr. Smith would get frustrated because essentially his program, as we find out in the next ones is to not quite catch this person. Yeah. Like, like he, he, his job is to root out all the fake ones, but ultimately in not be as strong as the person that they want to break out of the matrix. Right. And so like, that type of program, and maybe there's more incarnations of it as well, which would eventually like find a means of, of of frustration in that kind of like computer program way, because essentially they were built with a specific flaw, which is to not defeat the person that they're ultimately looking for. Mm-hmm. And I and I find that his like frustration and how he hates all the stuff like would be consistent with a machine that doesn't know it's broken. Yeah. That shows like the maybe the best scene in the movie, like even better than the lobby scene, is like right before the lobby scene when he's interrogating Morpheus. And he takes out like, his earpiece. Oh yeah, when so he basically tells the two yeah. guys to leave. And it shows you because those two guys are basically just like machines operating within their parameters, right? Yeah. Like they don't get bored, yeah. they don't get they don't get uncomfortable. He's like a little bit more advanced and he's getting existential pain at existing as this program which is such a terrifying cosmic thought like yeah you're just gonna live forever yeah in this weird fucking system and like maybe you'll get bumped out of the system if the bureaucracy allows and then there's this great little moment where he's he's interrogating morpheus but he's mostly just like fucking he needs someone to talk to it's like he's basically treating morpheus like a therapist he yeah. is. He's just <laughs> He's like, like gonna, you're going to these. I can't talk to those guys. They're going to fucking right. root me out. As, they're going to make me like an outcast program like in the next one. Well, and what's um, what's what I think is in, great about that scene, especially looked in, in light of the whole series, is that we're looking at the story of Neo's awakening 
finding his place in this system of recurrence and then of course his eventual breaking free from that cycle which is very tied into like the buddhist influence um but also parallel to that is a very similar journey that smith is going on and which is smith is also trying to break free from that cycle but for different yeah. reasons and for for, for to, to a different end for for, yeah. for neo and, the, the, and for neo and for the humans breaking free from that cycle means kind of transcendence into you know real existence for him it means deletion it means essentially nihilism to to bring this whole thing down which would let me fucking die like, well, exactly, because they're rebooting that part of the program, right? Yeah. So, like, even though Mr. Smith, who, like, it's essentially not Mr. Smith each time, but yeah. it is the same program, right? They're like, yeah. all right, go do your thing where you try to catch him. And then, like, you know, a couple hundred years pass and then he gets, you know, defeated. It's just in this time it was like he was defeated in a different way and he starts to recognize that he's yeah. part of a system and breaks – yeah, breaks free. So, I, yeah, that's why I really do like Reloaded um, – I just the way they get into that stuff and the way it builds off this in a way that is very unexpected and deep is is great. So the, the one thing that one thing that that I wanted to talk about still in that scene is yeah. Um, so that that the disease speech that he gives in front of the other agents is yeah. like kind of what you'd expect. It's kind of tropey. It's like man is a disease. Yeah. Uh, that but it's like video game villainy, which I think works even on that level. Yeah. And and then he tells the guys to leave and then he gets so much weirder. He's just like <laughs> he starts he starts taking the sweat off of Lawrence Fishburne's head and shoving it up his nose and going, you guys fucking smell so terrible. I can't fucking <laughs> deal with it. Like he's freaking out, but like freaking out within the parameters of what you know, a machine would be. Yeah. And that's why I think we all that moment is when we all were like. Okay, this Hugo Weaving guy is not like this is this is way bigger than just like being able to do a cool villain performance. Like oh, yeah. Hugo Weaving is like ready for prime time, and then like Lord of the Rings and you know uh, Captain America, like all that shit would fall into place. Uh, the the yeah. Vendetta, like we were like, yeah. yeah, get in there, man. Yeah, it's your time. You're you're our you're our new Sam Neil. Um, so one thing I want to make sure that we talk about is actually what I think is uh, one of the secretly best scene of the movie or like plot decision in the movie. Now, I'm saying that why it's secret is because I agree with all the obvious ones. And of course, we can talk about all the bullet time stuff and like, you know, that stuff that has been digested for a long time. But there is a moment in this that like strikes me as secretly genius that never stood out to me before, which is in these action movies, these science fiction movies, like the, the trope is always like the alien trope or Jaws or something like that. It's the horror movie trope. You, you meet a bunch of people and they're going to get picked off one by one. Right. And so these these characters that we see, like, you know, Switch and Mouse and all those people. His name's Mouse, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, okay. it seems too on the nose, right? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I know. I was like, it can't be Mouse. That only just like, now occurred. That feels like an insult someone said. But now that I said it out loud, I'm like, Dang, I'm, this is clearly an error. I'm going to need to edit. That, that only um, just now occurred to me that his name is Mouse because of Computer Mouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> 20 years. I've been. <laughs> 
Um, so they have all these characters, and as you mentioned, a lot of them don't have much to do. And what does that signal in an action movie, especially one where they're going into the Matrix and they're fighting and there's also machines in the real world trying to get them like – you're introduced to these characters so they can be killed off to continue to add stakes throughout the movie. Instead, all of them die yeah. in the exact same moment. And it's essentially the only deaths in the movie. Yeah. Um, and it adds to this, like, you have this full crew that have actually made it through a good portion of the movie. It adds to the betrayal of Joey Pants' moment and that feeling of suddenly overwhelming hopelessness. The idea that there is this guy who is just going through table by table and pulling people's plugs out while everyone has to watch them die has so much more impact that it's happening to a bunch of people at once and then other people, you know, die other ways. Like – than it would if that was like, okay, this is our one guy that dies from the plug pulling before people come out. Because it really is hopeless in that moment, even though you know it's not. But the the way that they introduce all the red shirts, so to speak, and I don't mean that insultingly to the actors or anything yeah. like that, but that's what you're supposed to think. And they save it for this one big moment. And it, it makes that moment feel that much more devastating. Yeah, that is... I, I mean, I, I I can't – it's been so long since I actually saw the movie for the first time. But I do remember thinking like, is is this it? Like everyone – Yeah. Is everyone dying now? <laughs> like, <laughs> or like how many people are – who's next? Like, yeah. Because they're just going through cast member after cast member with little fanfare. Well, which makes cause, sense because he's just executing a plan. Yeah. Well, and also like you kind of like – you know, in a cast like that, you always like have that that side character who's your who's your favorite, you know. Like you, you can attach to people for you some. You love the lead, and then there's that other guy. It's like that's the cool guy. I want it, like Boba Fett. I mean, so Boba Fett's such a big deal because he, he does nothing. <laughs> you have a will, name like, for the first movie. Do or, what? for Empire? I guess. I guess he's more of a, of a thing there, but like he, it's just that character off to the side. That's like that's my cool. That's my cool. I like that person best and I'm unique for that. And then they all die. <laughs> like, well, there goes like, my, I, I can't remember. It was, I think it was, uh, APOC that I was like really obsessed with when I first saw the movie for some reason. APOC's cool. Yeah. He just, it's a good name cool, too. It's like, it's all punches. Yeah. And so then like he dies and I'm like, what? No, no, APOC's dead. Gonna, he was going to, APOC! And it's so startling None of those because guys like, got to do the cool stuff. It was so. Bummed. It's so heartbreaking when Switch says not like this. Oh not yeah, like this. Oh, like, that's it, such it's a turned into a meme because it is like a powerful moment. It, it it is powerful because like they all thought, well, we're we're essentially soldiers. They don't say they don't use the word, but they're all mm -hmm. soldiers. They all thought if I die, I want to die getting. Up agent punching straight through my skull yeah. or getting like shot by die as part of their fighting for the cause yep yeah like you want to die on your feet you know not not uh you know getting fucking unplugged by a member of your own team no that's that's such an ignoble end after everything you've given up right yeah there there's a line i really love this one this time around um, whenever Neo first, whenever he, uh, he has the first conversation with Trinity on his, uh, terminal on his computer and immediately his friends knock on the door and they buy that disc from him and yeah. his friend says to him, 
I wrote it down. You're my savior, my personal, my own personal Jesus Christ, which is like is a kind of an obvious on the nose line, just knowing how the symbology kind of ends up working out. <laughs> what I love about that line that this time, what I think is overlooked is that he says my own personal Jesus Christ. So you think it's a Depeche Mode reference? I wasn't even thinking about Depeche Mode, but what I was thinking is, you know, one of the themes of this one and it continues on in the second and third uh, to an extent is the idea that Neo isn't the one. The Oracle tells yeah. him he isn't the one. Uh, Morpheus doesn't even want to hear anything about him. Like he doesn't even want to know what what the or- Oracle said because he is he has made up his mind that Neo is the one. And it doesn't matter to him <laughs> whether or not he is or isn't. Same with Trinity. Of course, he ends up being the one but i think what's the key of that phrase about him saying you're my own personal jesus christ is that it kind of doesn't matter if he is officially the one or if what the oracle said is true or not because it's about actualization it's not about being given permission or being told this is what you must do go do it it's about him finding that within himself that his 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 actualization as the one, as the savior of this all, is not external. It's internal. It comes from within him. It comes from that belief. Well, I said I shouldn't say that. It's not come solely external. It's but it's not given to him. It's not again going back to the the dichotomy it draws between binaries and subjective experience. He can't be told you're the one because then that removes all of the meaning of being the one. It, it, and if you were to tie it back into like The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, yeah. one of my favorite movies, if if there wasn't that temptation of Christ to be human, then there wouldn't be the sacrifice that the sacrifice wouldn't have its meaning. If it, if it, 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 and, and that's what I think what was ironic about so many Christians at the time protesting and missing the point of that movie was that the film argues, if anything, for the divinity of Christ by arguing that his sacrifice is the most meaningful because of the inherent humanity he took on. And I think if you look at Neo in those terms, his sacrifice and his actualization wouldn't be meaningful if he were spoon-fed, going back to the spoon, if you were spoon-fed and told, you are the one, you are the savior, you are the... Want, you're the you're the you're the force that's going to change this, because then he didn't do the work. Yeah, in a lot of ways that he wasn't the one when the or when yeah. like I think there's an element of truth when the oracle says, "Yeah, you're not the one." Yeah, like exactly, the act of becoming the one is when he decides to go and save right Morpheus, which gives him the kind of like confluence of of understanding and power and bravery and everything else exactly. to kind of access this part of himself that allowed him to to become this uh, person who is uh, one I hate saying one with the matrix yeah. or whatever else uh, oh my gosh guys is that what it means um, but <laughs> that's a great point because I think I think it isn't you're right it's not the the oracle lying or anything like that it's that and and, and again that bears out so well in the sequels when we find out yeah. that there truly isn't a one. There are just these people that do become these like momentary saviors and 
you have to assume that that the way they are able to become those saviors is to take some sort of leap in the same way that that right. Neo did. And 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 as the Oracle says, and I believe it's the second one, but it might be the third one. You can't understand a choice, or you can't see past a choice that you don't understand. Neo's at that point doesn't understand what it means to be the one, what it means to fulfill that destiny or fulfill that role. And so, how could how could he be, how could he be told? Well, yes, this is what you are. When that doesn't even make sense to him, he he has to make that choice and he has to come to an understanding of what that choice means before he can be given that responsibility. And, and that line resonated with me that my own personal Jesus Christ, because that's essentially what he is. These people have awakened him and they've shown him, you know, the truth and they've helped him come to terms with reality and helped him reject the, the very rigid confines that he's been in, you know, imprisoned by, and it's it's through their support, but also his own choices and self actualization, that he is able to fulfill the destiny that they believe of him and the destiny that he needs to step into. I I think that's I think that's wonderfully well put. The and and it kind of leads me to to something that I, I was realizing when I was watching the movie is that like Morpheus is a uh, very often there's these sort of uh, spiritual or intellectual leaders in these movies and they're just expected to like come in and just say a bunch of you know smart shit and move on and it's supposed to just inspire you yeah. uh, we just watched IQ for the show and Einstein is supposed to constantly be just fucking dropping wit and it doesn't work <laughs> at all um but Morpheus, uh, Morpheus is engaging with Neo as a great teacher would. Yeah. And, he, and Morpheus is engaging with us. The movie is engaging with us in the same way Morpheus is engaging with Neo. And the, in the same way that a great teacher engages with a student, which is, here's what I want for you. Let's get there one step at a time. Morpheus doesn't do I mean like there is sort of an info dump but like and there is like I call it orientation where Morpheus is like welcome to the ship you're bald and everything sucks yeah uh, but uh, he does engage with Neo as a, as a, as a good uh, teacher would and the movie engages as a good teacher would be where it's like it starts to make you question your reality and it is slowly um then it gives you these slow reveals that things might not be what they th you think they are. And then it's like, all right, time to dump the bath water. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, now that you're here, let's make you a little comfortable. Let's give you your textbooks. Let's go through, let's go through uh, all the introductory stuff. Yeah. And, and the movie is sort of acting as, as Morpheus does. And, and the best thing that Morpheus does in the movie where he's like, you know, she probably said you were the Oracle. I don't really need to know. They, uh, she still thinks, you're, you know, she probably told you that you're the one. I still believe that you're the one. I'm going to continue to still act like you're the one. So let's keep pushing forward with your education. And yeah. like, there's nothing to lose here. And yeah. that's, that's, that's why I love the movie. And that it ties into what you were saying, Zach. Like there's a, Morpheus as an educator really is he's a really yeah. effective educator and then when neo's neo's education is complete when neo finally understands why it's not his body that's keeping him from jumping between skyscrapers it's his mind 
And and I and yeah. I think what I love just so much about the movie is because it just reflects some themes that you know, and and it, I'm sure it it kind of is why some of these themes are very important to me. But that this idea of this subjective subjectivity versus objectivity, and that every turn, every major beat is the, is the film and the series reinforcing that. As humans, we live in a subjective, everything is subjective, whether that is our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of our world, our understanding of what's right and wrong. It all has to be decided by us. We have to define it. When we, when we let others define it for us, that those become structures of control that are used to oppress us. When we abdicate the responsibility of, of defining our world and our reality, someone is going to take that reign and they're going to use it against us or against someone. And yeah. the film is all about taking back that power and taking back that responsibility that we have to ourselves to define our, to define ourselves and define the world we live in and define the, our relationship to it. This could be considered a stretch, but the use of Rage Against the Machine could just be there for because it sounds badass at the end, you know, the end of the first two movies. But also they're a band that's all about the very literal application of that, of that, yeah, of that dialectic, of that, uh, 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 the very literal application of Take the Power Back. They have a song called Take the Power Back. The song that, <laughs> the song that ends this movie is called Wake Up. And, and it's, it's a, by a band called Rage Against the Machine, and the yeah. actors in this movie do, or the characters in the they movie rage. do Rage Against Machines. If you didn't know anything about pop culture and found out that was the name of the song, listen to the lyrics called it was Wake Up, you would think Rage Against the Machine was a fake band like the Archies <laughs> that was created specifically to make the song yeah. at the end of this movie, so it didn't say, like, by the Wachowski sisters. Like, that's <laughs> that's what you would think. It's like, the, this is some fake thing, the director's. This is completely unrelated, but I need to not forget this because it's our first Wachowski uh, movie. In an interview, I think it was only I think it was when only one of them had transitioned. They said, well, what do we call you now? Like a dumb fucking interview question. <laughs> and they're like, uh, Starship Wachowski. So yeah. now I refer to them as Starship Wachowski. <laughs> like that is that is what their name is. That's uh, great. I like that. I like Starship Wachowski. I, I didn't want to get through the episode without getting that out because it makes me laugh every time I yeah. think about it because it's an amazing interview answer. Wink, wink. We'll be doing another one soon. Not ready to announce, but wink wink mm. wink wink <laughs> but yeah the, am i supposed wink. to wink also wink 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 i i mean if i could sum up my just yes yeah, sum, sum her up is that like what what makes this movie and this series so continued continuously important to me is that it's a series that like because it doesn't spoon feed you its answers um, it encourages you to have the same journey that the characters do. Yeah, a lot of movies inadvertently end up by their by their form and by their mode teaching opposite lessons to what they're trying to impart. I, I made a comment about this once about rock and roll biopics. Is almost every single rock and roll biopic ends up being a very conservative. PSA against drugs and alcohol and sex, and <laughs> it's true. which is ironically not <laughs> like that's that's kind of what you wouldn't expect a lot of movies that deal with 
difficult philosophical questions and journeys, especially pop culture, you know, ones that are big in pop culture, end up accidentally or inadvertently telling us how to feel and being very explicit. And this is a movie that lives or dies by the fact that it doesn't do that. It it, it doesn't hand you the answers. It gives you the questions and it shows you the answers that the characters come to without necessarily explaining them all the way. And you're left to figure it out and you're left to work it through and you're left to make your own conclusions. And I think it's a film that's just in a series that's just offered me years of reflection and consideration. And there's, there's things that I've said tonight that I literally just occurred to me for the first time, because that's how much it's one of those things you can talk about it and you realize yeah. new things. One of the reasons I didn't, or I was hesitant to do this month was that I thought, what else are you going to say about The Matrix? Like, <laughs> talk about a movie that has been dissected and talked about. And like, what are we going to talk about that's not, that hasn't been covered over and over again? And it's telling, perhaps, that we just spent two and a half hours, <laughs> probably get edited down. And how many how many times did we mention bullet time or <laughs> special effects or like, yeah, the 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 soundtrack. I mean, we like could have a whole the, other the, episode. the wardrobe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like we ended up talking about things that I wasn't expecting us to talk about, yeah. and isn't usually the stuff that people talk about when they talk about this movie. And I don't know if we it's barely not, talked about the lobby scene. Yeah, the lobby scene, I or mean, we didn't all, really like, mention the action. <laughs> yeah, or the kung fu, or the. The the gun scenes, the training scenes, like other podcasts will cover that yeah. very well, I think. And I love yeah, and I, and that wasn't like on purpose. It wasn't like we need to do this different. It's just our um, much like Alice, uh, our rabbit hole. That's that's the worst way to say that. <laughs> much like Alice, our rabbit hole took us down a unexpected path. But I that is just telling about how much there is uh with this movie that like again we we didn't end up talking about the things that I think are the most iconic from this movie because uh, there were so many other things that were jumping out at us. Yeah. Uh so this so Peter, I'm sorry. I was a little bit skeptical of this month. Uh I'll let you have the final word. <laughs> uh I'm really glad that we got to actually do this month, the, the mind bendy month because this virtual reality month because I've been wanting to do it, yeah, like Aaron said, basically since the show started, and it's sort of changed forms a few times, I think, since uh, we got to it, but it's always been, like, the first few movies, and I feel like it's really important to start off with this movie, because this is a movie that's, like, <laughs> it's almost like a mental illness crockpot, like, there are so many people that came out of this movie, and, like, they they turned into MRAs and they turned into alt-right people. And there are people that already had some sort of chemical uh, problems or chemical instability. And they started believing in the simulation theory of this. Like the fact that this movie 20 years later, and, and none of that is the responsibility of the movie, obviously. But the fact that this movie 20 years later is still so relevant, is still such a, a potent and, and, and succinct commentary on a set of uh, existential issues while also being a fun-ass movie uh, is, uh, is is super admirable. Like, like, we all love Blade Runner, but I don't know if, like, 
there's we there's specific quotes in Blade Runner that have specifically affected political conversations going forward yeah. 10 15 years, right? Oh, you forgot the most famous one that Rutger Howard says. I'm going to throw this dove now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's there's uh the Matrix is so such a powerful cultural icon. We spent the first half of the show talking about its its cultural impact, so I don't want to get into it too much, but like the 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 reason that I wanted to do this month was because I think that there's still so much to unpack here. And I'm really glad that we did stick away from the stuff that's like rad about it. Like in terms of like a traditional like in quotes rad about it like sense. Like we stuck away from the action scenes. We didn't talk about the special effects that much. All of that stuff is super impressive. Everybody knows that the lobby scene is like one of the most insane things ever put on film. Also, people don't talk about the fact that the dojo fight scene with Morpheus is super tight. And the fact that both those actors learn their fight moves so that they can have long, these long, uh, you know, sparring sessions without cuts is uh, insanely admirable. Like the, the kind of stuff that you're like, oh, so like. You didn't just hire the right actors for the, the dramatic performances. You also hired the right actors for a physical performance that you didn't even know if they'd be up for the task. Um, that's that's amazing. So we didn't get into that stuff that much. Whatever. I'm glad that we got to talk about the meat of the movie and why it matters for this month, because I think it's going to set us off on the right track, which is like, w- how can film question our reality in a way that's a, that, that, that suits a visual medium? Yeah. And like we we already knew when this movie came out that movies could challenge our reality of how fucking badass a, a gunfight is or how awesome a kung fu scene could be. We already knew that. But this movie pushed forward I think how we talk about altered states of reality, what is a simulation, uh how do we view ourselves and our projected selves in a different world? Like there's there's even some social media stuff in here that we didn't touch on that much. That uh, makes it so fascinating, and I felt like it was a really nice way to get our energy up for the rest of the month. Yeah, it's a great episode. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If we do go back and do a Matrix uh, Reloaded Revolutions combo episode, which I bet we will do in the future, uh, you will definitely be our guest to pick up this discussion and come back to some of that stuff we may have missed in this movie and talk more about the plot and specifics of of those. I look forward to it. Excellent. Uh, Anything... to promote um no not at the moment um if anyone knows of any uh video production work um i'm i'm for hire in the we've never had we've never had a reverse production yeah do do us a favor yeah that's great zach uh just come back in like a couple weeks maybe a couple months listen to this part and if there's something that zach has to promote we'll edit it in yeah so just keep keep listening to this part of the podcast uh, Peter, we're just getting started, though, with alternate realities. Next week, we're doing really the pair. We're kind of finishing off this, like, one-two punch. <laughs> it was more like a one-punch and then, like, a, a trip and fall over uh, with uh, Craig Bierk starring The 13th Floor. <laughs> Enemy, Enemy of the, of the show, show, Craig Bierk. Enemy of the show, yep. Uh, and then we are doing uh, Existence. Which uh, I am so excited. I, I showed it to everyone for like five years and then haven't watched it since then. When we thought this was going to be like a 50 episode run or a 10 episode run, I was like, we got to do Existence. So I've been waiting a long fucking time to talk about that movie. It was like, that, that was one of those movies where I'm like, that's that's like my. Uh, that's some, uh, that's some that's pretty, pretty much law right there. Oh, 
some of the best yeah. Jude Law. I'm a huge Great Jude, Jude Law, Law fan. Great Defoe. Great Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now, and the fourth one probably would have been Dark City, um, <laughs> except that we already did it. And Peter, even though I came around on thinking The Matrix was a masterpiece, did not come around on Dark City. But that's because we have a one-sided friendship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't so, even talk about the fact that this movie was shot on the same sets and in the same studio lot as Dark City. Yeah. Like, it was shot at the same time. But Dark City came out a year earlier, was the first, still the best, yeah. even though The Matrix is amazing. But anyway, no, we're doing a double feature with uh, Connor Crockford. Connor Malcolm Crockford, uh, who's been a guest a couple times on the show. We're so excited to have him back. It's been a while, but we're doing um, two movies that I've really wanted to discuss for a long time, uh, which is Tron and Tron Legacy. Both uh, both movies I really, really like, uh, and it, but haven't have only seen them each once. Uh, one, uh, I saw Tron in college and was actually very surprised I ended up liking. It felt like a eat my medicine um, yeah. eat, eat, chew, chew all your pills movie, as they say. Uh, <laughs> eat your medicine. Uh, and, uh, and, and I, yeah, and I ended up like loving it. Like, oh, is this like a really, really good movie? Um, I thought it was just like noted for its visual effects, but was kind of like Disney's The Black Hole and some of their other live action stuff at the time that was kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but no, I ended up really liking, but I haven't seen it since then. And then I saw Tron Legacy, and I I, lo- I really liked that as well. So um, excited to revisit both. Felt like it made sense that we're uh, to do them both in the same episode. So yeah, that's going to be a great way to end the month. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited for this month. Zach, thank you for m- very much for coming back, and we might just have you back to talk about a little trek in the stars. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like going on a. I feel like going on a trek in the stars is not a great move. I feel like you should have a ship. Yeah, maybe it should be called Star. I feel like you shouldn't flying. have a ship. You should have a spaceship. Just a ship <laughs> by itself. <with laughs> yeah, I mean a, a regular no boat protection. ship. I don't think the. I don't think like those sails are going to help you very much. Spaceship. Spaceship. <laughs> spaceship. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, I think it's time for us to wake up or do the exact opposite, which is go to sleep in this wake case. Up. Yeah. Is, is there a good is there a good Rage Against the Machine call song called uh, Sleep Now? Well, I guess Sleep Now in the Fire. Yeah, yeah. there is. Great. Yeah. So instead of waking up, we're going to sleep now in the fire uh, called our, our comforters. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Good night. Good night. Good and night. sleep dreams tight. Come on! Come on! <laughs> listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch 
or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.